The OAM Network is an independently run podcast and live production company in Memphis, Tennessee. TheOAMNetwork.com. Power to the podcast. Welcome to The Permanent Record. I'm Joya, a criminal justice reform community advocate and state organizer at Just City. Just City is a nonprofit criminal justice reform organization based in Memphis, Tennessee. The Permanent Record is our podcast about the criminal legal system and how we can work together to make it better for everyone. The international health pandemic of the novel coronavirus has been a mixture of shock, uncertainty, inconvenience, and fear as many cope with their own personal health, the effects of economic decline, social isolation, and social distancing. Our guest today is America's next top lawyer, and she knows why I called her that. She is the executive director of the Arkansas Coalition to Abolish the Death Penalty and has been tracking the outbreak of COVID-19 at Cummins and Arkansas State Prison. Faranda, along with other Arkansas organizers, have been bringing awareness and attention to the issue at Cummins while illuminating the fight for Eighth Amendment rights for those incarcerated nationwide. Since early May 2020, nearly 40% of all COVID-19 cases in Arkansas came from one central place, Commons Maximum Security Prison, just south of Pine Bluff, Arkansas. In response to this disparity, a coalition of civil rights groups, including the ACLU of Arkansas and the prison rights advocacy group Decarcerate, an emergency complaint on behalf of the prisoners was filed. The complaint states the Arkansas Department of Corrections and the state are taking inadequate measures to prevent the spread of the disease within the correctional facilities. Thanks for joining us, Veranda. How are you? I'm well, Joya. Thank you so much for having me. No problem. Let's get right into this topic and really others affecting the nation right now. So could you please share when you first heard about the situation at Commons? We first heard about the situation in Cummins. Um, it was back in March. You know, um, we were hearing um, that folks were getting sick, that um, there was an officer that was sick. You know, it was um, really rumor at that point. Um, we hadn't been able to um, verify anything. But um, Cummins has a longstanding history of not treating infectious disease. In fact, at the beginning of the year, um, there was a wide um, outbreak of the flu at Cummins Prison. So this is not um, something that is new. It's really a perfect storm um, Mm. for infectious disease and outbreak at Cummins Prison. Right, right. So amidst everything that's been happening, I know that I first learned really about it through your social media post. Were you able to make contact with any inmates and or family members of inmates? You know, I was talking to the uh, the attorneys at um, ACLU. Holly Dixon is the uh, um, acting executive director for ACLU here in Arkansas. And I've been having conversations with Holly. And then I started having conversations with um, folks at the NAACP Legal Defense Fund. Um, decarcerate um, our legislators um, have been really um, involved. Um, Representative Vivian Flowers particularly, um, and she suffered from 
um, about with COVID. Um, so I had been talking with all of these people and they were wanting to um, do something. Everybody was wanting to do something to try to keep the, the inmates safe. And um, they said, well, we need defendants. I said, well, you know, I'll put it on my Facebook page and see what happens. And, you know, the outpouring of people calling and and messaging and sure, um, sure. all of these things was just really unbelievable. It, it, it was unbelievable. And it was so very saddening, you know, to have mothers and wives and and um, sisters, you know, calling and pleading and saying, hey, I've, I've called the prison 20 times today and and they're not letting me through. Nobody will tell me anything. Um, the phones aren't working. I don't even think they have electricity. You know, it was just wow. really um, a, a really overwhelming thing that happened. It was like a tsunami. The amount of people that were calling to say, hey, I've, you know, I don't either I don't know what's going on with my family member or I've talked to my family member and they're sick um, or I've talked to my family member and they've got sick people in their barracks and they won't come take them out. Um, it was just one horrific story after the other, Julia. Right, right. I know that I definitely, it, it definitely caught my attention. It's a lot of individuals that believe, oh, they're incarcerated. Why are we even advocating on their behalf? Why do you believe it's important to advocate on behalf of incarcerated individuals, regardless of the sentence? Sure. I, I think that, um, and I know that incarcerated individuals are still U.S. citizens, you know, and right. they are entitled to rights. And one of those rights is um, to be free of and unusual punishment and um, to put someone in a cage, essentially, and then um, expose them to infectious disease, not feed them properly, not give them the appropriate health care. That's absolutely cruel and unusual punishment. And I think that um, we should all be um, very concerned about the, the preservation for rights, even for who some people would call the least of these, um, those right. that have made mistakes and, and we're holding them warehousing them in our prisons, um, we're responsible for those people. And it's not okay to expose them to infectious disease at all. And then um, the whole, um, just the, the handling or the mishandling of the situation to date um, is just really deplorable. So do you have any updates as far as what's going on at Cummins now? Because I know that it was a lot of attention in March and even in April we are now in May. Do you have any updates to offer to the listeners? So, so Cummins Prison is is still. I'm still. I got a call today from an individual that said he was sick with COVID nineteen, and he says that um, the recoveries that are being reported are absolutely incorrect. You know, I, he is there in the prison. He doesn't understand what they're count, count, counting as a recovery. So it's still a really grave situation at Cummins Prison. Um, it has since spread to other prisons in the state. Um, there is an outbreak in Pine Bluff wow. um, at, at a unit there. Um, the last time I checked, it was about 400 cases. And so, you know, this thing is, is really real. And in the midst of all this, you know, we've had our phase one reopening here in the state. Um, mm. It's just it is it's, it's unreal how how much science is being um, disregarded. Um, and how absolutely, I mean, sometimes absolutely no measures are being taken to, to keep people safe, especially people that are wards essentially of the state. 
Right. When it comes from the top down, (laughs) sometimes you're almost pressured. You know, a lot of governors are feeling pressured because our current administration is also advocating to reopen as soon as possible. But that's another story. Let's shift gears and talk about some of the recent deaths that have been happening with young Black people in America amidst the pandemic. What are your thoughts on the recent deaths of Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, and Sean Reed? You can talk about all of them, one of them, or just one that really kind of pricked your heart. Anytime that I see um, any person um, being killed, um, especially by the state or, um, you know, in in a heinous manner, let me start over. Sorry. Um, I had answered your question and you couldn't hear me. Can you restate it, please? Sure. What are your thoughts on the recent deaths of Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, and Sean Reed? You can talk about all of them, um, a couple of them, or just one that really pricked your heart as we kind of shift gears. Well, you know, anytime I hear of um, someone being killed, um, it definitely has an impact um, and it. You know, it reminds me of a Facebook post that I saw about all the things that black people cannot do. Um, black people can't sleep in their own houses and not be killed. Black people cannot um, um, be out with a toy gun. Black people can't run through a neighborhood and not be killed. There's so many things that um, African-Americans are really prohibited um, in practice. Maybe not. Um, it's no it's not written in the law anywhere, but in practice, um, there are so many things that, um, we are prohibited from doing safely. And so, um, I'm mad about that. I'm mad as hell about that. Um, it upsets me. You know, another, one of the things that, um, upsets me is that, um, sometimes we will, um, be very upset about another, yet another black person that has been killed. And, um, we forget about it. We forget and and sometimes we will try to reinforce systems that historically um, have been um, against disproportionately um, adverse to African-Americans. And I'll give you one example, um, like the death penalty um, in the wave of the death of Ahmad Arbery. There are people that are calling for the death penalty for his killers. And we know if we reinforce that for this case, the death penalty is disproportionately used against African-Americans in this country. And so. Um, even though I'm mad, um, I, I still can see um, clearly how um, we don't. This is definitely not a time to um, uplift systems of oppression. Right. Right. And both you and I do organizing statewide against uh, capital punishment. And I just thought it was just very monumental that in the midst of being mad and being angry about the deaths, uh, unjust deaths of Ahmaud Arbery, there was still this need to say, hey, we cannot forget about capital punishment and how it's been used against African-Americans nationwide. So um, absolutely, we're definitely going to continue that fight nationwide. But I want to talk about how do their stories connect to the larger thread of criminal justice reform in America? Because we have these three stories and it pricks the hearts when you hear about them. They're timely. You know, Trayvon Martin was timely in uh, 2014, 2013, when all of that was happening. And sometimes it seems to go away. But how do you feel that their stories connect to this larger thread of of reform in America? 
So I think, you know, one of one of the probably many intersections between um, the killing of um, African-Americans by the um, the state, um, for example, is that the rights and the liberties that are afforded to white people when it comes to the police, um, many, many times we've seen many, many examples, those same rights and those same rights and liberties are not afforded to African-Americans. Um, I've seen, um, you know, plenty of unarmed African-American people that have been killed. Um, um, far less have I seen that with, with their white counterparts. Um, I've seen um, police use more de-escalation techniques um, with people that are not African-American. And, and it seems as if um, the, the poli- many police have been more likely to use deadly force against an African-American when um, it could have been de-escalated or, you know, it can be de- de-escalated. And so um, I'm, I, I don't know the answer to, you know, what, what do we do? Do, I mean, right. we definitely need to, um, re-examine how we're using force. Um, but there is a thing called implicit racial bias and, and, it, and it's, it's something that we don't examine too uh, often enough, I think, um, for everyone to determine, you know, what are my biases? You know, what do I like and what do I preference over something else? Um, maybe simply because I'm more familiar with black people over white people, you know, um, and I think right. that um, implicit racial, racial bias training should absolutely be um, the baseline of training for um, officers, especially officers that are going to be um, policing communities of color. You know, where is the training and then where's the accountability? Um, we see too many times where um, unarmed African-Americans are killed and, and there are no there are no, no repercussions. You know, these officers get their jobs back. And so I think that that's sending a, a, a horrible message to say about the value of black life and the, the value that the state puts on black life. And so um, I think that, that all of those things need to be examined and reformed. No, I thank you for um, just reframing that and also you know, suggesting things that could help us advocate for a more humane society in America, because we definitely need those. And like you mentioned before, sometimes when you have no experience within a particular community, you have implicit biases. Um, sometimes they're explicit, but um, definitely implicit biases exist just based on sometimes how we're raised, things that we heard growing up, jokes that we shouldn't have heard growing up. So that's, that's very real. And I definitely uh, advocate and echo what you said um, in regards to training in communities of color. So for Rhonda, is there anything else that you would like to add? I know that everyone is dealing with this global pandemic and really trying to balance ourselves and meditate while at the same time in our line of work, speaking up for individuals that may not be in position to speak for themselves. But is there anything else that you would like to add to this conversation? Well, you know, it's, it's as it relates to criminal justice um, in, crim- in criminal justice practice, criminal justice reform, I think that it's clear and it should be clear to everybody that we can never go back to the way that things were. And our criminal justice system has to change. Um, what has started off maybe as a 
marijuana charge. I know people that are in um, that are in the penitentiary based upon marijuana charges um, where they've got plenty of dispens- medical marijuana dispensaries that um, are making millions and millions of dollars. There are headlines about how much money they're making. But we've got folks that are locked up um, for that and and they're being exposed to COVID-19 and they could possibly have a death sentence. Um, based upon something that um, is a crime, depending on who does it and under what circumstances, you know. So I think that we we have to take this time to um, absolutely demand reform in in these areas of criminal justice. We have to do things that make sense. We cannot continue to do business as usual. It just will not work. And it could cost people their lives. Right, right. Um, so I just want to say thank you because as an organizer here in Tennessee and also nationally, you need to learn from other states and also be inspired by other individuals that are doing the same work that you're doing. So I just want to say keep up the good work in Arkansas, Rhonda, and also nationwide. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, Joya. And thank you for all of the work that you're doing to push these issues to the forefront to um, push for reforms and changes because we really need um, more people like you that are doing this organizing work on the ground and that are doing podcasts and, and making sure that people have the um, accurate information about what's happening right now. Thank you. Right. And I'm still going to get you down to Memphis uh, in 2020, hopefully. <laughs> hopefully. I'm, I'm so ready for um, us to have our lives back. All right. I know Memphis is not as glamorous as some of these other places that you probably want to visit after <laughs> the shutdown. But thank you so much. Thank you. Have a good one. You too. America's response to the coronavirus pandemic has revealed various gaps, flaws, and truths about not only our healthcare system, but the way various systems are interconnected to one another. Every system, organization, and company has been forced to respond to COVID-19, and we believe that the time is now. Our collective notions of the possible have changed already, and if we don't evaluate ways to address cruel, unfair, and inhumane issues, how can we ever progress? Thanks for listening, and we hope that each of you are being safe. Please follow Just City on all social media platforms, Continue to support our podcast and help us build our audience. In a just city, we listen and we speak up. Thank you for doing both. The OAM Network is an independently run podcast and live production company in Memphis, Tennessee. TheOAMNetwork.com. Power to the podcast.